chapter 5, and we started a new series last week on marks of a mighty church. How do you know what is a mighty church? What are some identification marks that make a mighty church, that identify what a, a mighty church for God is? And that ought to be the goal of any church, to be a mighty church for the cause of Christ. Before I get into it this morning, how many of you noticed that uh, that this is becoming a house of merchandise as you walk in? (laughs) A lot of people are asking, what is that about? The kids were all, what is this? Some cool stuff, right? So yesterday, I want to thank the Boltons for... uh, for overseeing our youth, their youth pastor and pastor's wife, and, and they do a great job. I'm thankful for the effort and uh, just all the work and time that they put into our young people. I don't have any teenagers yet, but I'm looking forward to the time when they can influence uh, them and, and they want to be a part and do some of the fun activities that uh, they see the older uh, kids get to do. And so yesterday was one of the cool events. It's called, it was called Bigger and Better, I think. And um, it started off, so uh, the teenagers showed up here, and we, had, we were able to divvy up into three teams. And uh, you started off with a pencil, uh, just a brand-new pencil, unsharpened. And the goal was to go to different people in the community. There was no instruction. You could go to yard sale. You could go to just show up. We showed up randomly at just some strangers' homes and said, hey, we're from Life Point Baptist Church, and we're having a youth activity called Bigger and Better. And um, the goal, the object of the game is to trade up. How many of you like to trade up? How many of you, I know you like to do that, Brother Will. Um, You know, growing up, you know, trading, I don't know, Star Wars action figure for a whole set or multiple things for something else. And uh, my mom, this is a dumb, I'll admit it now. So I lived out in the desert and um, there's a bunch of uh, lizards out there. And so I had, and I say it's dumb again, okay? I had awesome uh, Star Wars action figures that would be worth mega money today. I'm sorry, mom, if you're watching. Um, I had those action figures and my buddy had a bunch of just desert lizards that anybody could go out and catch and I traded my Star Wars action figures for probably a dozen lizards I'm okay dumb okay so uh, bigger and better is the name of the game I got the bad end of the stick I was I was dumber and dumb and dumber I guess on that one but anyway um, so we go from house to house and then uh, trying to trade up and then at the end of the two or three hours at the end of the day uh, of trading and bartering. We're taking the items and then putting them up for auction. And uh, then whatever uh, the funds is that, that comes in goes towards the building fund. And then the top uh, team gets to go uh, to Zao's Island, mini golf and different games and such over there. And so uh, you see all of the stuff that the folks, that the young people were able to trade up for and that's only to name a few. Some of it we had to discard. Um, at the end of the day yesterday, I was driving around in my truck, load full of junk, looking like Sanford and Sons. <laughs> and so we couldn't bring it all in here even, but you see the remnants of what remains out here. And so if there's anything, I encourage you to walk by the tables out there 
And so what we'll do is we'll put the different items up on Facebook. Some of the items have been put up on Facebook already, but there is a Harley Davidson helmet out there that is in good condition and that's, that could go for some money. Uh, there's this tricycle that, uh, cool power wheels looking tricycle that one of the teams got. Oh, uh, if there's any White Sox fans in here, there's a cool uh, White Sox rocking horse that's, uh, that's in there. Uh, there is a, uh, there's a Samsung uh, entertainment system sound bar theater system that's out there that that should go for a little bit of money, I think. Um, and there's a set of three chairs. Anybody need a set of three uh, uh, custom painted, hand painted chairs out there? So uh, we'll put those up, items up on a, a for bid, and then highest bidder will get those. I think is that next next week, next Sunday, Saturday, or what have you. So uh, two ways you can be a part: you can bid, and then you can pray uh, that they sell for a good amount of money. And uh, that's just a neat idea, cool thing. And so we were able to go to different. We ended up kind of going to probably about 50% yard sales as they were dwindling towards the end of the day. And so people were like, uh, we don't have any, we're trying to get rid of our junk. We don't want to trade you for junk. And so they were in, they gave us some things that are uh, valuable items that we'll put up for sale. Uh, but then the other 50% were like, okay, you can have. So we started off, our team started off, which consisted of Michael and uh, one of my boys and uh, Bobby and I. We started off with a pencil. We went just cold knocked somebody's door and they traded us a camel butane lighter he said it was vintage and stuff and uh, from there we traded the lighter for a DVD VCR combo bigger and better from there we traded for the home uh, the theater system I think we traded um, but somebody gets then people ended up giving us stuff too so it was a fun thing I want to thank the Boltons for heading that up and Man, parents, I encourage you, get your kids, get your young people to those. It's a, it's a good, wholesome way uh, for them to enjoy uh, the things of God. And so I guarantee um, guys like Michael, um, those that were able to be a part of that, will look back and think, man, we did some fun stuff in our youth group. So I'm thankful for them and the involvement that they uh, have and put into our young people. And so this morning, we are continuing in our uh, message here, um, our series of messages on the marks of a mighty church. And last week, we uh, saw what is the, the, the purpose of a mighty church. What should be the purpose of a church uh, that is mighty in the sight of the Lord? And we listed several, uh, several of those purposes. Uh, one of those was to inspire people to develop hearts for God. A second one... A second purpose that we uh, saw was to include people into a local church body. I believe wholeheartedly uh, by the principles of God's word that it's, it's God's will that every saved person ought to be a member of a local body of believers. It's God's will. We see principles of that through scripture. God gave his life, Christ gave his life for the church. Uh, the Bible says he loved us and gave himself for us, and he doesn't take lightly the emphasis that he puts on a local, uh, the local church. He says this, uh, another one of those purposes was this, it's to impact the world with the gospel. How many of you understand 
It's the local church's responsibility to impact the world with the gospel. He gave that command, that commission to the local church, to the body of believers. And then uh, there were a few others that we mentioned uh, as well. But today we're going to shift to another mark of a mighty church as well. And we're going to see the families of a mighty church, the families that make up um, the uh, body uh, that, which is a mighty church for the cause of Christ. And so I want us to see from the Word of God some of these attributes of families that make up a mighty church. We're in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse number 20. We'll begin reading here. Now this passage, uh, this epistle here was written to the local church of Ephesus. And Paul the Apostle writing under the authority and inspiration of the Holy Spirit is giving instruction to this body of believers here. Verse number 20, he says this, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now he gives some order, some instruction of, of uh, the umbrella of authority that he has established in a local church. In verse number 21, he, said, he says this, Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. And he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Now, if you think about that verse, husbands, men, future husbands, past husbands, what have you, um, he says, to love our wives even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. That is a sobering thought to consider. I'm sure if I went said, Husbands, men, are you willing to give your lives uh, for, your, for your spouses, for your wives? I'm sure that, uh, that, that we'd raise our hands. But the, the fact of the matter is the Bible says that Jesus was willing, not just that he was willing, but he gave himself, he gave his life for uh, the church. We ought to be willing. We ought to give our lives uh, should the occasion come. But let me say this. We ought to be willing to live for our wives as well. I gave you men an opportunity to amen and make some brownie points with your wives with that one. You guys totally let whiff that one. And so, well, you'll have another chance here shortly. But, but um, that, there, that's tall orders. That is a huge responsibility for me to love my wife as Christ loved the church. A um, whole lot of selflessness involved in that. A whole lot of uh, long-suffering involved in that. Whole lot of, uh, whole lot, a lot of stuff in that, in that one verse right there. And so, continuing, continuing here in verse number 26, it says this. How uh, does Christ love, him, uh, love uh, the church? He says in verse 26, That he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hateth his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. 
For we are members of his body, of his flesh and bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Uh, Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife, even as himself. The wife see that she reverence her husband. Uh, And then chapter number 6, verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, um, that it may be well with thee, and that thou mayest live long on the earth. And ye fathers, provoke not your children unto uh, wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Let's bow this morning and ask the Lord for help. God, I need you. I pray that you'd fill us as a body this morning. You say that where two or more are gathered, two or three are gathered in the, uh, uh, together, there you are in the midst. And so, Lord, we claim that we also know that you, uh, you inhabit believers, and so you dwell among those that are saved in here. You live in our hearts as saved people, and you seal us, Lord, until the day of redemption. So, Lord, we thank you for that promise as well. But, God, we pray for a, a fresh, empowering God. We pray for a, a total filling. Empty us of ourselves and fill us with your Holy Spirit. Help us to be receptive of the things of God. And, Lord, I pray you'd organize my thoughts. I pray you'd help me to speak only the words you'd have me to say. And, uh, Lord, I pray you'd bless our time and effort as we desire to worship you this morning. In Christ's name, amen. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> now, young people, I want you to uh, uh, listen to verse number two again. It says, Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise. The uh, Bible gives a, a promise there. It says it's the, it, it doesn't go on to say what that promise is, but uh, the Bible promises those that as we, love our, as we uh, honor our parents, we'll have a long life. We'll have long lives. That's, one of, that's the promise, I believe, that it's referring to there. And there's a, there's a reward that comes with honoring, respecting our parents. You say, well, my parents don't. Do, your parents uh, may not deserve respect, but the Bible says you'll get uh, a reward of long life if you do so, okay? Um, anyway, the love for the Ephesian church that is written uh, by the Apostle Paul here, it's felt and it's shown in Acts chapter 20 in verse number 31, uh, where the Bible says that he spent three years uh, warning them uh, day and night, and, and um, it's referencing to the uh, church of Ephesus, but uh, besides helping to found this church of Ephesus, I believe Paul was instrumental in getting this church established, he wrote the book of Ephesians to help ground the church in faith and in doctrine. And for the last several weeks, even, even months probably, uh, we've been, uh, I've made several statements on the importance of doctrine. Who can say what is doctrine? What is the definition of doctrine? Somebody just shout it out. Don't even raise your hand. What is, what is a doctrine? What is doctrine? What does the word mean? Say it again. Teaching. Who said it? Raise your hand if you said it. Teaching. It's instruction. It's, it's a belief. And we all believe doctrine. Some of us just don't know right doctrine sometimes, and I've been there. Uh, but doctrine is a teaching. It's, it, it, it's what... Uh, 
There's plenty of doctrine in the Bible. And I want to say Bible doctrine is probably the most important teaching, the most important doctrine that we could know as believers. The Bible says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. And so the word of God gives good doctrine. Uh, the church of God should preach good doctrine. Uh, that's why it's called the pillar and ground of truth, provided it's preaching good doctrine. And so this book of the Bible was written to this church of Ephesus to help ground the church in faith. Uh, faith can be uh, uh, identified in different um, um, in different, uh, different ways of faith is a, can be a set of doctrines. Faith can be a, a verb, uh, a, an action word, and what we, what we do uh, in, in faith. Um, and so uh, this book of the Bible was written to help ground in doctrine, but then also in faith. And so we learn here in this book the importance of proper family relationships. And that would be a doctrine as well. That would be a teaching. How, how do we know how uh, we, we're in a 1 Timothy chapter 4 this past week we got into on Wednesday night. And uh, we saw, man, I'm, 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 I'm losing my train of thought here. Uh, we saw the uh, umbrella of authority uh, from the word of God. But uh, we saw some doctrines in the passage as well. Uh, we... Uh, we understand that local churches are made up of families. And this morning, we're going to get a picture of the kind of families that make up a mighty church. Proverbs chapter 24, verse 3 says this. It says, through wisdom is an house builded, and by understanding it is established. And so we need God's wisdom, and we need his mind if we're going to have a family that helps to make up a mighty church for the cause of Christ. I said it before, and I'll say it again. I don't know, I don't understand how unsaved people can survive marriage. Amen? Um, how can you have two people from sometimes totally different backgrounds that, that come together and get married and make that marriage work? I, I say this, it's, it's hard enough. Now, it's hard on my wife. It's, it's not hard on me. Uh, <laughs> But it's hard, uh, you know, even when saved people come together, we have the common denominator of, of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, uh, when we're saved. And it's hard enough, though, sometimes for even saved people as they come together and form that marriage union. Uh, but but uh, I, I wonder, how can you, man, there's so many differences that transpire. How many of you, I'm like, what are you talking about, Pastor Sam? Uh, I have the perfect marriage. Giving you brownie point, giving you opportunity. Brother McGraw's no dummy. He's, 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 uh, but I think of it, think about that. What, what makes up a, what makes up a family? Well, marriages typically is how uh, families get started. And I know we live in a society that, man, there's mixed uh, marriages and there's, uh, what is the, uh, blended is the, is the kind of the trendy term that's out there and, and uh, things like that. But, um, uh, marriage can be hard enough when you're saved, let alone without God. I read statistics, and these statistics fluctuate, uh, but I read that the divorce rate of Christians is up over 50%. You know, it's nearly the same statistics as the world's 
uh, marriage uh, uh, system there. But if we're going to have successful marriages for Christ, we're going to need his mind in on the subject. Amen? And so the book of Ephesians gives some instruction on how uh, uh, the, the order of our relationships ought to take place and transpire uh, within Christian homes, Christian families. Somebody once said marriage is, is a nature's way of keeping strangers from fighting with each other. I don't know about all that, but... Uh, we do need to avoid this trap of, you know, image management. I wouldn't know if your marriage is struggling, uh, if you're in here this morning, uh, because uh, uh, we do a good job in society putting on a front sometimes, thinking that we got it all together. Uh, but, uh, but deep down, uh, sometimes our marriages can be struggling, and people don't know we do a good job with the facade and all that. Uh, but in order to keep them uh, maintained and making sure that the, the byproduct is, is, is good on the outward, we need to make sure that the structure is good on the inside and learn the mind of Christ regarding our relationships here. And so we need to focus on the heart of the matter in building our marriages through biblical principles, and then a good image will come as a byproduct of following Christ uh, together. And this isn't, a, this isn't a message on marriage necessarily, uh, but marriages are part of way, what make up our homes what make up our families that make up many local churches. And so I want you to notice with me this morning three marks of strong families that make up a mighty church for the cause of Christ. Number one, uh, let's get right into this here. They reverence their Lord. A family uh, that is making up a mighty church for the cause of Christ uh, makes up, uh, uh, their, their focus is on God. They reverence their Lord. How so? Number one, in surrender to him. Look at verse number 21. The Bible says this, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Um, we see in this passage here, they respect God. They reverence God. They seek God and his leadership, and they, they, they look for him uh, to guidance in the relationship of their family. In other words, they put God first. That's my desire as the husband and, uh, and father of my family, that I'll put God uh, first and foremost in my life. And, uh, and in doing so, many of you probably have seen this kind of, I don't know, equation before, uh, but you've got a husband and you've got a wife, and they come together, and their goal isn't uh, just the, the husband to the wife or the wife to the husband. Oh, no, our goal is Christ. And as we're focused on Christ, we're going to meet together up there. As common denominator, we're focused together for God. How can we reverence our Lord? How do we keep the Lord as the focus of our family? Number one, in surrender to Him. In surrendering to God. We ought to seek God. We ought to seek His leadership. We ought to put Him first in our family, in our relationships. Let me ask you a question this morning. Do you put God first in your relationship? The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 11, uh, uh, verse 3, it says this, But I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ. Amen? And the head of the woman is the man. And the head of, the Christ, uh, the head of Christ is God, emphasis on Christ as the head right there. Proverbs 12, verse 7 says this, 
the wicked are overthrown and are not, but the house of the righteous shall stand. How do you become a house of the righteous? How do you become a, a righteous household? Put God first. And the Bible says you shall stand. So how do we uh, show that we are a righteous house? Here's another point, sub-point here. We can state our dedication to God. State your dedication to God. What do you mean, Pastor Sam? I think of the story of Joshua. And uh, God had promised the land, uh, for the promised land uh, to the Jews there. Uh, but God wouldn't let Moses lead them into it. And so God in his sovereignty uh, chose Joshua as the man of God that was going to lead them into the promised land. And uh, the Jews had seen the mighty hand of God deliver them time and time again. And uh, they, 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 they crossed the Red Sea under the leadership of Moses. And, and uh, because of their disobedience, though, God said, you're not going to be, you're not going to go, uh, Moses, and, and claim that promised land. And so he let Joshua uh, be the one to lead them into that there. And uh, then they finally came uh, to uh, the time where they were going to enter into the promised land. And in Joshua 24, verse 14, this is the statement that Joshua made uh, to the people of Israel as they were getting ready to get into the promised land. He says this, Now therefore fear the Lord and serve Him in sincerity and in truth and put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt. And serve ye the Lord. Some of us men in here this morning need to tell to our spouses or to our kids, hey, we serve God. Our family, as the head of the household here, our family is going to serve God. I'm going to try to lead you. I want you to pray with me and pray that I have the, the strength and the wisdom to lead you in the ways of God. But that's what Mo, uh, Joshua is ultimately saying here. Hey, those people serve those false gods here. Maybe here this morning, you didn't come up in a Christian ha household, a Christian family. And so, man, this, uh, this idea, what is, this guy is crazy. He's talking about serving God with his life and, and doing all this stuff here. Hey, maybe your family didn't do it back then, okay? It's time to make a decision, though. God wants you to choose him. And uh, maybe you need to say, hey, we're, we're not familiar with how this uh, Christianity thing is, is supposed to happen, but... but uh, uh, we're going to let the bygones be bygones. We're going to let the past be in the past here. And we're going to press forward for the cause of Christ. I didn't even finish the verse here that I especially wanted you to hear. In verse number 15, this is what Joshua said to the Israelites. He, he made them make a decision that day. He made them, he encouraged them to choose either that way or this way, the way of Jesus. He says this. And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom ye will serve. Whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Someday, Kyle, there's going to there's gonna come a, a time where, 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 man, you need to make that decision if you haven't already. I'm not saying you haven't, uh, but there's got to be a time in everybody's life after they get saved when they make the decision that I'm going to serve God. I'm going to put back those, those false gods of the world, man, and I'm going to serve the great Lord Jehovah. I'm going to serve Jesus with my life. I'm going to give my life to him. He's awesome. And I see 
Joshua here stating his dedication to his God. There was no question in Joshua's household that he was going to live for God, that he had decided that he was going to lead his family for the cause of Christ. He stated his dedication to God. And families that make up a mighty church for the cause of Christ, they reverence their Lord. I believe there's probably a time uh, that uh, if there's a family faithfully serving God in uh, church and, and desiring to live for Him, there's somebody who made this decision right here. I'm going to live for God. I'm going to serve my God. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I may fail. I may mess up. I may not always be the best leader. But with everything that's in me, and as much as I can, and by the grace of God, I'm going to lead my family for good for God. I bet Joshua's kids and wife, I bet they didn't wonder where he stood on certain issues. I wonder, are we going to go to the temple today, Daddy? I wonder, are, are we going to uh, do this for the Lord today? Are we going to bring sacrifice? Are we going to honor the Lord with the first fruits of our increase, God? I mean, Daddy. He was determined and he was dedicated to serve God uh, with his life. Families that make up a mighty church, they reverence their Lord. And we see the order of that in this passage here, I believe, in uh, verses number 21 and 22. And also the passage of uh, Joshua that we read. But... But uh, rather than seeking our own agenda in our families, we need to let Christ set the agenda in our families. I'm simply saying this this morning, that, uh, that people that make a mighty church, they reverence God. They make God the priority in their life. Amen? And there's no reason not to. I can't imagine... Man, not, not desiring to live for God. God's been good... In my, I'm not going to sing, okay? Man, I'm blessed beyond my wildest dream when I go to sleep each night. Though I've had my share of hard times, through it all, God's been good. I think God's been good is an understatement. God's been awesome. God's been great in my life. I want to share something. Hopefully this may help to illustrate here. You've probably seen something of this nature before if you've been around in church at all but but I want to I want to show you how to lead your family to prioritize the things of God. Oh we have a habit of doing when we don't prioritize the things of God, we can let all of the uh, the minor things in life take over that aren't uh, that aren't uh, of significance. And I think of this in in regards to this. I want to let this represent our days uh, in our lives, these jars right here. And I believe Joshua was probably uh, to the effect uh, uh, of a person. I think the Lord gives this principle here in the passage that we're reading about prioritizing and structure. What we can do, we can have a habit of uh, these stones here. I want them to represent different activities in our lives, different priorities or mispriorities in our lives. And I've got eight stones per each glass. But what we have a habit of doing, and I've had a habit of doing in my life, is, is not prioritizing and putting the best things first. 
And so I want you to think about this in regards to relationships. As a Christian, what should be the priority number one relationship in our lives? God. You say, not my, not my spouse, not my wife, not my husband. No, God. God is the priority of a Christian. God is the first love of every Christian. You say, shame on you for not making your family first. God is the one that gave me the wonderful family that I have. Without God, I'd not have the family that I have. I thank you, God. The Bible says, Job said, The Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. But I think first and foremost, a, a Christian, I know first and foremost, a Christian ought to prioritize his life with God. And so the goal right here this morning is to get all of these rocks in my day, to get all of the uh, important things in here. And so first and foremost, God is my big rock. I want to start the day off with God. God is my, God is the rock. He is my fortress. He is my all in all. He is my first love. He is my strength when I am weak. He is the treasure that I seek. He is my all in all. And so first and foremost, as I get up in the morning, give me Jesus, and I put him in. I put him in there. You understand what I'm saying? I'm not putting God anywhere. I'm giving God deliberate attention of, my, of, the, of the first of my day there. And then over here, when I'm not giving God the things, you know, oh, man, i got to get up. i got to do my exercise. got to get going, right? Here's exercise. What's the second priority in a Christian's life that they should have? First and foremost is what? God. I reverence, I, I reverence uh, the Lord. I, I, I reverence God as a Christian first and foremost. Then my spouse, my wife that God has entrusted me with, she's, she gets next priority there. And uh, then we're not priority t prioritizing over here. Stick uh, something that's, uh, you know, not as important. Oh, maybe I'll, uh, I, uh, I got to eat my breakfast. You know, I got I to gotta be healthy. I got to have my strength for the day. And so that's in there. Am I doing this right? Yeah. And so priority over here, when I reverence uh, my Lord, first and foremost is God. Second priority, of course, is my wife. And then is my, my family, my kids and and uh, mom, grandma, grandpa, whoever there, and, and uh, relatives, family. And so I'm prioritized. I'm keeping the first things uh, first here. You say, well, what about work? And what about health? And what about uh, shelter? And what about clothing and all that? God said, what did God say? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Well, what happens is I misprioritize, and I'm uh, doing my exercise, and my hobbies, my golf, and my... Uh, basketball or what have you and my my working out and my goats over here and and then uh, this isn't going to play out very well oh yeah it will um, and then now it gets towards the end of the day here I got God left over I didn't got, give God any prior, priority in, in my life that day but I'm over here and I'm doing things strategically and focusedly and I'm reverencing my God and then here comes the hot here comes the uh, employment here comes the, the job that God gave me. Get to put that in there. And then he gives me the health uh, to be able to, uh, uh, to do uh, that job here. And uh, so I'm getting all those stones in there uh, just right and getting everything prioritized and, and keeping everything. Uh, God is the center and the focus here, and I'm acknowledging God. And, and uh, then, uh, uh, you know, fill in the blank. 
did I say goats? I said it over here. Then the goats can go in here. And the, the chickens. Somebody, I think I told Sammy to get me some more rocks. He got me too many. Uh, so imagine all these fit in here, okay? <laughs> the point is the prioritizing. The point is, is the reverencing of the Lord. And as I keep the main things the main thing, God will bless and God will supply and God will provide and take care of his. And he's done it all my days. We see that a mark of a mighty church, a marks of a family that make a mighty church, number one, they reverence the Lord. Number two, they remember their spouses. The Bible says this in verse number 23. Look at our passage of Ephesians. It says, Husbands, uh, it says, For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. And this doesn't mean that men are smarter than women, obviously. This doesn't mean that we're superior. This is simply structure that God has ordained in his scriptures on, on how things ought to go, how things go smoothly. And the mark of a mighty family that make a mighty church is husbands and wives are working together and husbands remember their spouses. Wives remember their spouses. And we see a structure of leadership here. Husbands need to provide leadership. Number two, husbands need to provide love. In verse number 25, it says, Husbands, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church. And he gave himself for it. How do we love our wives? Well, we love them sacrificially. We ought to work for her. We ought to uh, encourage her. Uh, we ought to buy her gifts. Uh, ladies, there's an opportunity for you to say amen. I recently learned some tips of what not to, to buy your spouse, men. And I'm going to share some of these with you. Number one, don't buy clothing that involves sizes. The chances are one in 7,000 that you will get their size right. And your wife will be offended the other 6,999 times. Number two, avoid getting them gifts that are useful. The newest Kirby vacuum cleaner isn't going to win you any brownie points unless you're the one using it. Number three, don't buy jewelry. The jewelry that your wife wants you can't afford. And the jewelry that you can afford, she doesn't probably want it. <laughs> Number four, don't spend too much because she'll think, how do you think we can afford that? And then she'll ask, uh, but, but, uh, but then also, but don't spend too little. She won't say anything, but then she'll think, is that all I'm worth? And so just some tips there, husbands. <laughs> We ought to remember our spouses. We ought to love them. How? Sacrificially, uh, selflessly. We ought to provide leadership uh, for them as well. And um, <clears throat> husbands, we need to love our wives sacrificially, selflessly, preferentially. We need to upkeep at it. We need to work at it. We need to date them. And as Henry Ford said in the success uh, that he had in, uh, in making the Model T, you know who Henry Ford is, right? Um, he was asked uh, how he succeeded his 60-plus years of marriage, and he said, it's simple, stick with one model. That's, it's supposed to be funny, okay? 
Maybe you've heard it. I'm pretty sure I've told that before. But we need to love our spouses sacrificially. We need to love our spouses sanctifyingly. Look at the verse here in verse number 26 of our passage. It says, He that he might sanctify or set apart and cleanse it with the washing of the water by the word, that he might present it to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. So the, the marriage relationship that God established between a husband and a wife, by the way, according to the word of God, uh, it was established by God. And it's very, very intricate. It's very godly. It's very sophisticated. Uh, the marriage relationship represents a salvation relationship. How many of you understand the deepness of that? I don't know that I totally comprehend the, the depth of that, but I understand that now. When a person gets saved, they, they become the, the, the bride, and Jesus becomes the bridegroom. That is a picture of a wedding relationship. When uh, a husband and wife come together, it is a picture of uh, uh, Jesus and uh, the, the bride. And so they come together. That is a representation of the relationship of salvation. And God doesn't take it lightly. We need to go uh, through Christ to be saved. Well, uh, sanctifyingly, let me move on here. Wives must remember to provide submission and support to their husbands. The wives, you have such power and such influence among your husbands. Future wives, you can have such power and such influence among your man. You can be his greatest cheerleader. They say uh, behind every successful man is a very strong and awesome woman. There's such influence that you can have. You can be the, the, the biggest cheerleader in your husband's life, or you can be maybe the biggest terror downer of that man. I'm thankful that I've got a cheerleader for a wife. I'm thankful that uh, I've had, there's been long suffering and patience in, in my wife, in our relationship, and, and uh, that she, by the grace of God, has, has stuck with me and stuck by me for the times that she has. But that's, that's what we see here in the passage of Scripture that we read. We see the, the order there. And, and uh, we don't belittle women. Uh, we, we lift women up. And uh, we understand that they have great influence. And, and God puts a high priority in that marriage relationship. And we work together for the cause of Christ. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, it says this. And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone I will make him and help meet for him. Aren't you glad that he did that? Aren't you glad that we can, we can have a help meet men? And ladies, I want to encourage you to uh, get your doctrine uh, from the Bible. Get your teaching from the Bible. And uh, encourage your husband. And, and don't get it from the secular things of the world. Don't get it from the feminist movement. Uh, God has the perfect order for this thing that he created called marriage. And he's the one who gets to define it, by the way. Marks of a mighty family that make a mighty church. Number one, they reverence their Lord. Number two, they remember their spouses. And then number three, they rear or raise their children. 
Look at our passage here, Ephesians uh, chapter uh, 6, verse uh, 4. The Bible says this, And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And so we see the instruction here, the responsibility that we have, yes, as fathers, but then also as mothers as well. We have influence. You have influence over your family, over your children. Somebody said this, you raise animals, but you rear children. Somebody also has a bumper sticker that says, babies are delivered and, right? Is that right? Oh, I got it wrong. So, so, so much for the influence of that bumper sticker. But... um. But we have responsibility if we're going to have a, a mighty church for the cause of Christ. If we're going to be a mighty family for the cause of Christ, uh, we ought to be involved in the rearing. And uh, we ought to be prioritizing uh, the, uh, the, the great responsibility it is to rear a family for God. They understand that those kids are God's to begin with. They're not mine. They're not my wife's. They're, they're God's kids. I have to dedicate uh, my children to God, give them over to him. God, you, you've given me these kids here. It, it's, it, it's a great responsibility. I give them back to you. Help me to be an instrument to rear them uh, for you. I recently read some of the truths about life that little children have learned. And I thought these kids were off to a good start. I'm going to read you some of these cute sayings here. This is what some of our kids say, uh, some, some uh, principles, some instruction that we can, we can learn. When your mom is mad at your dad, don't let her brush your hair. A little girl said, if your sister hits you, don't hit her back. They always catch the second person. You can't trust dogs to watch your food. Puppies still have bad breath even after eating a Tic Tac. Never hold a dust buster and a cat at the same time. You can't hide a piece of broccoli in a glass of milk. Uh, I'm going to look over some of these. I, uh, I, uh, I need to skip them. Sometimes the, best one, sometimes the best one in the play has the fewest lines. Uh, number next, 12 is a lot older than 8. Sometimes your best move is blocked by your own checkers. And some nights, it's not worth fighting over who gets the top bunk. Don't expect your friends to be as excited about your 100% score that you got on your test as you are. Don't say that the last one is a rotten egg unless you're absolutely sure there's a slower kid behind you. Uh, my boys, since we have chickens, their saying is, last one is a rotten chicken turd. Um, so make sure you're the fastest one or else you'll be one of those. Um, <laughs> you can't start over just because you're losing the game. When you're dressed up like a princess, it's easier to act like one. Um, anyway, Proverbs 29 verse 15 says this, The rod and reproof giveth wisdom, but a child left to himself bringeth his mother to shame. And so we need to learn to restrain our children uh, from wrong. We need to learn to implement discipline in their lives, not just leave them rampant. You're familiar with the story of Eli. Eli was a priest that uh, the Lord had used before uh, Samuel, or he trained uh, Samuel to be the great prophet that he was. And in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 3, it talks about this man Eli. 
Eli and how he had sons. And Eli, he failed to restrain his sons. And as a result of that, God killed the sons of Eli. In uh, Proverbs 29, verse 17, it says, Correct thy son, and he shall give thee rest. Yea, he shall give thee light unto thy soul. As parents, we ought, to be, uh, we ought to be involved in the correction of our children. We ought to set principles and procedures on how we're going to uh, discipline our children, how we're going to rear them, and, and why do they need to be corrected? What are certain reasons for correction that we need to implement in our children? Not just make it up as we go and fly by the seat of our pants, and, and we ought to have some reasoning, some doctrine behind how we rear our kids biblically. We ought to be selective about certain things that we expose our children to. Just because it's on TV doesn't mean it's a good thing for them to be watching. Amen? Um, we need to practice restraint and provide oversight. This is for their protection. And it's really what they want deep down inside. How many of you are thankful for, uh, for a parent or somebody that's got some rules set in place? And you know that these things are for my protection. And I'm thankful for when, when things have, have been like that. Not just wondering, man, I wonder if I'm going to get in trouble if I do this. I, I wonder if it, this is going to be okay. No. Give them some instruction. Uh, we need to provide restraint and oversight. And uh, discipline isn't just a matter of uh, spanking. Discipline is a matter of, of uh, restraint. It's a matter of teaching. It's a matter of... Uh, uh, of wholesomeness. It's a matter of teaching principles behind rules and things like that. We can reward them for right, doing right things. You've probably heard this before. Uh, praise publicly, but what? Reprimand privately. Some good principles there. How many of you like to be rewarded in a crowd? How many of you liked it when, when somebody praised you for doing something good and then the whole class heard it? Yeah, that's pretty cool. Made you feel pretty special, right? And then when you'd done something wrong, you didn't want to be embarrassed for it. Maybe it's not that you didn't, you probably deserve to be embarrassed for it. And oftentimes, sometimes we do, but, but I think sometimes it goes a lot further if we'll take that child off to the side and be like, you know, this is what you did wrong here. And I want you to know that, okay? I didn't want to call you out in front of your peers or what have you, but, but I wanted to teach you uh, what you did was wrong and give them a verse or principle of why we can read with our children we're talking about rearing our children for the cause of christ we can read with them the bible says in second timothy chapter 3 verse 15 and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in jesus christ the most important book we can read to our children the word of god but how many of you like to have been read? How many of you, your parents read to you when you were little? I remember certain books. I remember, so my stepdad raised me. His name was Joe, Joe Morosco. And I, I remember, <clears throat> I remember a book that my mom got. I had to be probably like four or five years old. And, and uh, I remember her bringing this book and I want to get it someday, but I looked online, it was pretty expensive. I've never seen it anywhere since. I don't know what happened to it, but I remember the book, and the book was called this. Obviously, my name's Sam, and the book was titled this, How Joe the Bear and Sam the Mouse Got Together. But I remember that. It was an influential thing in my life that uh, my mom, I remember, um, got me that book and stuff, but um, 
But uh, I, I appreciate my wife, and, and uh, she'll read to my kids. I'll read to the boys. And, and uh, I know they like that. So they'll, they'll often uh, we'll spend time with them, and one of the things they've been doing is, hey, tell me a story about when you were little. They'll ask my wife that. They'll tell me a story when you were little of something, and sometimes it's a stupid story. You know, you did something dumb, or, um, or sometimes it's a scary story or a lesson that you learn and things like that. But, but th- those, are, those are ways that we can rear our children. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. It's a way that we can relate to our children. You know, son, and maybe teach them, daughter, teach them, you know. I'm, I, I went through something similar when I was your age. And this happened to me when I was in middle school and kids made fun of me because I didn't have the brand name. I, got, I didn't have the brand name whatever or I, I couldn't do this or I fell and, and fell and got hurt. Yeah, that's funny and everybody's laughing at me. That may not be the best thing, but um, relating to our children is a way that we can teach them. And the Bible says... Fathers, provoke not our children to, to wrath. Tell them of little stories. Tell them of stories on how you learned valuable lessons. And we can rear a mighty family for the cause of Christ. Some say, man, I, I, I can't understand these kids uh, today. They're, they're, they're way over here. And as we were, uh, we were filling in for the Alexanders this morning a little bit, we are playing the blessing game. And we had a boy and a girl come up and... Uh, they had to rattle off a blessing that they had for the week. And the first one to come up short of a blessing, they lost. And so they were encouraged to, like, you know, dig deep to remember the blessings. And so we had one over here and one over here. And one said, uh, I'm thankful for my bike. I'm thankful for my mom's bike. Thankful for my dad's bike. Thankful for my sister's bike. Thankful for... And I'm thankful for Nintendo. I'm thankful for my N- Nintendo stand. I'm thankful for my this game for the Nintendo. And for my controller of my Nintendo, for my other controller of my Nintendo. Uh, I'm like, what, is, what are you talking about? I have no idea what you even, what is that thing? And so we're like, okay, no more objects, no more things. And then they're like, okay, we quit. <laughs> and the game ended. But anyway, we need, to, we need to get into the lives, get into the worlds of our kids uh, we need to take a deliberate time and, and, and try to get woven into their, their lives, their circumstances, their struggles that they may be facing. Learn who their friends are. Uh, learn their, their, their likes, their dislikes. And sometimes uh, I found that a dislike comes because uh, uh, they, they, they don't think they're good at doing something, and so they chalk it up to uh, a negative experience, and they don't want anything to do with it when all they needed was a little bit of encouragement. And they're no different or no worse than anybody else. They're just not as experienced as maybe somebody in some activity. And they just need a a cheerleader, somebody to take a few minutes and spend some time in their lives. But that may not always be the case. Maybe they just downright aren't that good, I guess. But um, let's get into their worlds. They, they, you, you know how it was when you were their age. You, were, you had friends, you had certain likes, certain things that, uh, you know, you wanted to maybe accomplish and, uh, accomplish and, and things like that, but let's get into their lives. Families of a mighty church, they reverence their Lord, they remember their spouses, and they raise their children. How can you apply this message this morning? 
Number one, identify any negative family traditions that there may be. Is there something uh, you do that is not in reverence to God? That'd be first and foremost what I would do. God, help me to make you the priority in my life. Help me to make you the centerpiece of my family. Evaluate the priority you have with God. Number two, refocus and assess. Don't, don't, don't blame. Don't uh, shift uh, uh, the blame on anybody else. Take action. Stay in Scripture. And let's allow the Lord to be the centerpiece in our lives where He rightfully deserves to be. Let's, let's pray. Father, I thank You for Your goodness. I thank you for the word of God and the instruction that we can find in, in the word. I thank you for the perfect setup that, that you've established. I thank you for a biblical home. I thank you for <clears throat> Jesus. And I thank you how he's awesome and how he should be first and foremost in our lives. And Man, I, I, I just, I, I pray, Lord, that we would we'd put this truth to, to action here. And Lord, I pray that you'd help me to keep my focus on, on putting you first. Lord, I found it as I've discovered this truth that all of the other things that are of lesser significance, they all fit in that jar once I get you in. The things that are of absolute value fit in that jar when your first priority. With, with heads bowed and eyes closed this morning,